You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. From HowStuffWorks.com, this is the Stuff of Life. Welcome to the Stuff of Life. I'm your host, Julie Douglas, and today we have a companion to the previous episode, Life at the Death Cafe, and our discussion about what makes a good death and what we can learn from a study on end-of-life dreams and visions. In this companion episode, we'll look at how, as the bereaved, we find solace in ritual. Death can feel monumental, and the ceremonies around it are an attempt to acknowledge this immensity, particularly when the person is a beloved public figure. From his beloved second home at Warm Springs, Georgia, the body of Franklin Delano Roosevelt moves on the first stages of its journey to his final resting place. Scores of sufferers from infantile paralysis sorrowfully bid farewell to their great friend and benefactor. Not all funeral rites need to be grand. There's comfort in small gestures, and some of these rituals seem kind of commonplace to us. One thing I really like about American mortuary uh, rituals or practices is this idea that somebody dies, people bring them food. It's a very American thing, and I think that sometimes it becomes this like really weird thing where people are like stranded with so much food that they don't know what to do with it. But it's the gesture of like performing solidarity and support for somebody who is in distress. Other rituals to a Westerner may seem exotic. When we're looking at something like China or Taiwan, we have a rise of professional mourners that are for hire often actors or Chinese opera uh, performers. That's Dr. Liv Nilsen-Stutz of Emory University, a bioarchaeologist and archaeologist specializing in funerary practices and burials. We talked to her about the idea that rituals are critical in both their ability to allow for the expression of chaos and death and to regain our footing in life. All along the 700-mile route, people gather to honor President Roosevelt and his ideals. 
One hallmark of death rituals is the public display of bereavement. And whether these displays are food offerings, crying or dancing, there's a performance aspect to them, like the New Orleans jazz funeral. It's a great example of, uh, of marking this time as special and kind of like uh, uh, creating uh, a, uh, a form of celebration around this transition. The jazz funeral is based on the European fraternal society model, benevolent societies formed to take care of the sick and bury the dead. Members of these clubs parading down the street are participating in a rite of passage, lamenting mourners who walk with the casket, accompanied by a sad tune, only to return from the cemetery dancing in a celebratory song. This may be because in that first hurdle of overcoming death, the body has been dealt with, at least symbolically. Across from the White House in Lafayette Park, the men, women, and children whom Franklin Roosevelt served so well watch in tearful silence. After all, the body is the physical representation of the person to whom we still have tendrils of connection to, and the cadaver is a stark reminder of the loss we feel. Its chemical breakdown signals an emotional breakdown that we're teetering on the precipice. There is a, an anthropologist, Mary Douglas, who, who talks about anything that is, that when she defines dirt, it's matter out of place, things that are not in their place. So, for example, a hair on the head is perfectly fine, but a hair in your soup is really disgusting because it's not in its right place. Dr. Stutz cites French psychoanalyst Julia Kristeva's concept of abject, a thing or an idea that sits on the boundary of society as a threat to its structure. The cadaver, then, is the ultimate abject. It's that matter out of place. So we need to take care of this body in one way or another. And the very, very great majority of mortuary practices in different cultures, there is a crucial component of the mortuary ritual that has to do with handling the body. And it's this handling of the body that gives us the idea that we can reclaim it from uncertainty and disorder. The way in which we then handle the body has to resonate in some ways with our ideas about what death is, what life is, how to treat uh, a human body. And by doing that, we don't only kind of transition this individual into another existence, but we also make ourselves believe that we can control uncontrollable death. To this end, we go to great pains to arrange the body. We like to see our loved ones in our culture. We like to see them at last time. We like to see them at peace, clothed in some kind of like a sleeping arrangement. They're usually contained in a, in a coffin. All these things that are may seem as really banal are like perhaps the most important to us. So the way that we produce a good death says a lot about what we believe death should be, right? It should be peaceful. It should be without pain. It should be an eternal rest. 
is often a more or less explicitly articulated idea that there is something that comes after death. This preoccupation with order is perhaps the reason why funeral homes thrive in the United States. We want a sense of preservation, of stopping death in its tracks. The rise of the funeral home as a kind of home away from home, where you're no longer having uh, people die at home and then the wake, but rather a place of, of transition. If I compare to European mortuary practices that are in some other ways similar to Americans. I think the embalming makes the funeral home necessary. I think that has something to do with the rise of this profession of like treating corpses in, in surgical ways that requires a lot of professional know-how that the rest of us can't do. And, and, that, and that is a really, I think it's a very, very interesting phenomenon because it's it seems for an outsider so profoundly unnecessary. Now home again to the garden of his family home in Hyde Park, New York, comes President Roosevelt. Here in the old and lovely Hudson River estate, which several years ago he bequeathed to the people of the United States, the mortal remains of a man whose career has known no parallel in our time will rest forever. The work that some of these professional undertakers are doing in communities and with bereaved people and the way in which they are kind of like clergy um, helping people through this process, I must say that that is also something that is profoundly important. I mean, we have no problem uh, hiring doctors or uh, to to care for our our loved ones, and I think that there is still some a lot of discomfort with undertakers in our society, and they do such an important work. So, yes, it is definitely possible to do that critique of like how we have distanced ourselves from from death. But when it's our own parent that dies, I think that we that we still feel that in a way that's very intimate. And yes, we hire services to help us through this. But ritual specialists have existed since at least the Bronze Age. So I have a lot of sympathy and love for what people need at this time. And, and I think that uh, good undertakers do amazing work in helping people through something that we need help through. So much of what we do is held up to ridicule, but it's just how you blur your eyes, whether you want to see the silliness of what we humans do when someone dies, or if you look at it carefully and see in it something deeply sublime. That's undertaker and poet Thomas Lynch from The Undertaking, a documentary that Dr. Stutz shows her students to illustrate the importance of funeral directors in their role as guides through ritual. These rituals help individuals and societies transition from one state to another by putting a kind of fence post around the experience of death. And for a moment in time, we suspend normalcy. And during that period in time, things can be different and often are explicitly different. If you doubt the power of ritual as a transformative thing, giving us permission to go a little crazy, consider this example. Becoming a member of a fraternity on a campus or a sorority. So when you rush or when you manifest your interest in becoming uh, a member, you get selected. And at that point, you are no longer just any student, 
but you're not yet a brother or a sister of the fraternity. You are between and betwixt categories. And during that period that you are kind of trying out and like being initiated into, you're going to do stuff and experience things that are not really part of your daily life and often explicitly break the rules of society. So it could be things like, well, we know about uh, all of these kinds of hazing uh, rituals that include like alcohol or sex or violence. And a lot of traditional societies do this as well. You kind of go through this period that uh, often is where you're no longer not yet classified. You're kind of outside of social order. It makes you both very vulnerable to being humiliated, to being tested, but it's also a period during which you learn about what the expectations are going to be, and it builds community among everybody else who goes through this bad time with you. It's called communitas. So you build that in this anti-structure, and then when you come back into society, when you are kind of initiated into becoming uh, a brother of that fraternity, you are you kind of shed that uh, ambiguous status and become a real member of that society. In the same way, death, the ultimate initiation to life, allows us to upend expectations. We often see that, for example, a very hierarchical society can, during this period of transition, flip the hierarchy or uh, allow things that wouldn't otherwise be allowed. Because when you do that, you can create a chaos or you can create a, a difference that marks this period as having a beginning and an end. And in in an interesting way, that kind of like confines it and controls it, even with chaos. So you can have these periods that are marked, for example, by like sort of of carnivalesque behaviors, whether it's sex or alcohol or other vices, kind of like playing that up and then bracketing it off as special time allows the social structure to be reinforced actually at the end of it. It's a push and pull between anti-structure, the chaos of death, and structure, the desire to control death. And different cultures deal with the back and forth in different ways. At an Irish wake, there could be an outpouring of emotion, anger, confusion, joy, and a good amount of alcohol to go along with it. But in China or Taiwan, a family may outsource the expression of grief to a professional mourner. Often actors or Chinese opera uh, performers that are have realized that this is a much more lucrative and, and uh, easy way to support yourself. And when that kind of performer shows up, they can be they can show up to create that kind of like huge moment of display of mourning and loss. And uh, if I understand it right, it's also intimately connected to kind of like appease the spirits because usually during these kinds of liminal times are also bracketed off in the sense that this is the time when the spirits are either susceptible for contact or uh, sometimes they are kind of like more present. They're making their way into the afterlife, so they're going to need all sorts of things. Um, And so by showing 
giving a good show, you kind of like show the afterlife administration that these people are important. And uh, in a society where people are migrating a lot and working a lot of really long hours and are not able sometimes to travel back to uh, their village where they might have lost somebody, they can also actually supplement their own presence by hiring somebody to be there in their stead. So it's it's both kind of like, a, it's an interesting combination of actually how this ritual has kind of like molded itself onto new needs because of a changed kind of social economic reality. There are also professional mourners for hire in Essex, England, who for $70 an hour can help bolster a thin turnout and converse knowledgeably about the dearly departed. Elsewhere in the world, like Western Kenya, populating your funeral with a stranger who will cry on demand, well, that's just tradition. And just like traditions can morph to suit the changing needs of a society, so too can the job of a professional mourner. You also have these Taiwanese uh, funeral strippers that start to manifest themselves, I think, in the 1980s. Uh, and at the time also when uh, decency laws were kind of cracking down on nudity, uh, this becomes like a new arena uh, for strippers to come and distract and celebrate the spirits and bring a lot of people to the funeral. Because it's really, again, it's really, really important. You know, the more people show up to during this period of transition, you send this message on to the next, like to the next world that this is somebody who's really important. And, and this is also the moment when you kind of like transfer spirit money and all these kinds of things that the, that the, that the soul of the dead will need to basically pay their way in the next life. So the more people that show up, and the more of a, a big deal it is, the more important um, this deceased is considered to be. So you kind of give them a boost into the into the next life. And so if you bring in strippers, you will bring in a lot of people, but you're also going to add to this kind of like sense of anti-structure. Here we see flashes of skin gyrating bodies, and we hear the thumping of music, all while revelers celebrate the transition of the body, the betwixt and the between of the person who was their friend, their family member, or their spouse. In this ritual, there's a nod to the madness of death, the sense of being hurled out of time and place. It's the anti-structure, the permission to explore the boundaries between life and death, knowing that these times of exploration are limited. Order will come rushing back in. Matter will be put back into place. On the afternoon of April 12, 1945, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was signing papers at his home in Warm Springs, Georgia, when he suddenly complained of a headache and slumped forward, losing consciousness. The nation was stunned. For 12 years, FDR had served as the chief executive. He was an emblem of stability and steadfastness, and the only way to bridge what felt like the treachery of death was through ritual. A good funeral is one that gets the dead where they need to go and the living where they need to be. Mm -hmm. 
FDR's body was carried back by train to Washington, D.C., where full military honors were rendered in a procession to the White House. The public mourned. The casket was returned to the president's Hyde Park home, where it was buried in the Rose Garden. His family mourned. And in the end, the dead and the living all took the journey to where they needed to go and where they needed to be. to Dr. Liv Nilsen-Stutz for guiding us through the fascinating world of funerary rituals. You can find out more about Dr. Stutz at Emory University. The Stuff of Life is written and co-produced by me, Julie Douglas. Original music and sound design is by co-producer Noel Brown. Editorial oversight is provided by head of production, Jerry Rowland. If you have thoughts on rituals, you can email us at thestuffoflifeathowstuffworks.com and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.